but it's a permanent syndication because of the house prices and the population growth in that area. You can forecast that, hey, in the next five to 10 years, there's going to be a lot of people moving here. The vacancy rate is going to continue to reduce. So it's backed by science, statistics, and you know that this property will do well. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Jay Chang. Jay is a real estate investor based in Los Angeles and currently works for a real estate investment company that creates large commercial developments. In this episode, we'll talk about transitioning from a traditional engineering career into real estate and how to get into multifamily syndications as a millennial. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and how you got into real estate investing. Hi, my name is Jay, and I've been doing real estate for two years now. I graduated from college, UCLA with a civil engineering degree. And after that, I did two years of construction management. I kind of learned how real estate development works. And I realized that construction management, you're always working for the developers. So I eventually moved on and wanted to work for developers. So that's how I made a transition. And then kind of like working in the industry with other people, I learned about apartment syndication. That's why I got more involved with bigger pockets, multifamily masters, which is a national wide organization. We have more than 2000 members and I host the downtown LA chapter, which helps establish my apartment experience, syndication skills. Perfect. So talk about your job. Like, what are you doing on your full-time day job? So for my full-time job, we do ground-up developments. Again, this is not my company. This is a company I work for called CIM Group. And we do anything from acquisition, which is you buy like a stabilized property. Sometimes we do that because we have different funds and each fund has a different strategy. And we have, you know, a value add acquisition. So buying multifamily condos, and then adding value to that property. And the most common, which we're most known for, is development, which is buying a, a plot of land that's like empty. And then you go to design the city. First, you go to designer, draw a schematic design and bring it to the city to see if we can even build this. And then you kind of get permitting, which takes at least a year usually. And once you get that permitted, like the building permit and everything, you start bidding out projects, getting construction teams on board and start working on this project. Usually another two to three years of construction. I mean, that's super exciting because I think that's where a lot of us want to be in the, in the future, right? Just doing these giant projects. Yeah, so that's definitely very exciting because you're like building something from nothing. It's supposed to buying a stabilized property. You kind of really know what it looks like. It's definitely very exciting. How did you get a job with these developers? You started with a civil engineering background. I wanted to become a civil engineer when I was little because I was very interested in designing buildings. And then I realized as an engineer, you're always designing the building for someone else. It's not like 
you're driving the design, you're driving what, what the project is going to look like. So I didn't really know, to be honest, who what the developer is until I really, I graduated and started working in construction management for two years. My first project was the R3, the Metropolis in downtown LA, which is 60 stories. And I kind of understand how developer work with engineers, contractors, and architects, all of that. And I realized developer has the most control over their project. And that's why I started making the moves, learning about the industry. And actually, I reached out to a lot of developers because most of the developers either look for someone with construction, like more than 10 years of construction experience, or they look for someone that has an MBA degree. And I was 24 at the time. I didn't want to go back to school, but it was also too early for me. And I was lucky enough after probably 100, 200 cold emails, I got three or four interviews and CIM Group picked me and I was very fortunate. And it's a really great company where you're really a bunch of hardworking people who are super smart. It's cool that you were able to just say, like really early on in your career, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. There's another thing out there that I want to do. And you're able to just shed that past and try something new. Yeah, exactly. I, I was lucky. I, I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. And no one around me was doing this. Not my family, not my, not my classmates. No one know about real estate development. No one's talking about it, right? So I definitely got very lucky there. And I got lucky getting this job. And what is your role at CIM? So my primary role is construction management. There's just so much to learn. And so it's construction management involves anything from managing the subcontractors, building a quarter design, managing the schedule, managing the costs, managing the budget. So a lot of management, right? Because there's so many trades going on. Out of that, entitlements and managing the consultants, the architects, engineers. Sometimes we had to change the design to make the project cheaper, you know, a more efficient design. And yeah, so we do that constantly through basically throughout the construction process and a little bit before that is what I come. And how hands-on are you? Are you actually going on the site? Are you actually going to the city to show the plans, get entitled? And some of the people in the city are pain in the ass, <laughs> those inspectors. But uh, or city planners. But yeah, I go to city, I'm very hands-on. I work with inspectors and planners. And you never know, man, the the thing about building in construction, you don't know what inspector you're going to get. And every inspector is a little different. Some of them are a lot more picky than others. And if you're lucky, you'll get a, get a nice one. Nice. So are you actually out there, you know, evaluating deals, analyzing them as well, or are you only focusing on the construction portion of it? For CIM, the development team, we don't really analyze deals. The, the, we have a separate department to analyze deals. That's the uh, acquisition team. So what typically happens is if they deploy the land, the acquisition team will go out, analyze it, look at the land, see, and then see what they can build, and then they can project their returns. And they will probably go talk to the development team, like, hey, how much do you think it will cost to build? And once they purchase a lot, all the design, permitting, everything goes to development. So the acquisition team is no longer involved. Uh, they will probably monitor the job quarterly to see how much budget we have spent to see we're on track to reach the performa. But basically, we don't take over until the project is already evaluated and acquired. That's why I, in addition to my day job, I want to do apartment syndication. And apartment syndication is 
most of the listeners probably already know is buying apartments. And we do out of states and we pull money together, buy like a $5 million, $10 million deal. And I'm primarily looking in Phoenix. So that's kind of what I do on the side. And for that, I'm constantly analyzing deals, talking to brokers, doing a lot of networking, all of that. Is your boss cool with that? Because I, I ride for bigger pockets, I buy weekly. Um, and he does see my post on LinkedIn, like, oh, oh why are you uh, writing a Palmer syndication? I was like, yeah, you know, it's just my hobby. I love writing. Good. And you fire like, oh, bonus points for you. Yeah, but to be honest, I don't see I'm ashamed of like what I'm doing on the side. I mean, it's at first I was kind of scared, like, hey, what if my boss found out I'm doing more real estate on the side? Would they be mad at me? But another thing is just, they probably was just thinking I'm a really motivated employee. Exactly. Yeah, you're going above and beyond. And so you've been with this company for about two years now? Almost two years in like a couple more weeks. So have you seen a project go all the way to completion? Yeah, we completed a project. It was a 169 units apartment. It was mixed used. I have some real cool pictures I can share with you. I don't think you have seen it yet, but it has 35,000 square foot of retail and has a pool, two roof terraces. It's really cool. It's a really cool project. And we have some really cool graffiti work that we hire like this artist that travels around the world to do graffiti art. And we had him on like a, just like doing this huge graffiti on our building. And it was the graffiti is pretty much like 50 feet, 60 feet tall. Nice. Can you share some numbers on that? Like what does it cost to even create a 169 unit apartment? Well, I wouldn't just divide it by number of units because it's, it's mixed use as retail, but it's $80 million all in, including hard cost, legal fees, land acquisition fees, everything. And how big was that lot? The lot was 35,000 square feet. So a little under an acre? Just a little under, yeah. $80 million. Was there a property on there before, like an existing structure, or was it raw land? I believe it was Spaghetti Factory, and people loved it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I to go too much into detail what happened before, but uh, there, w- there was Spaghetti Factory. So then what's the plan? Are they going to sell the property afterwards? No, no. So CIM has this like unique strategy where we sometimes we don't buy in the best neighborhood. We'll buy a really like underutilized neighborhood, and we'll buy a lot of lands, and then we'll build properties around in that area. We plan on holding this property for yeah for a while. Nice. And how big is CIM? Like, is it a huge team? Yeah, our company portfolio is about thirty-five billion. Jeez. So, how big do you think that like, the company is? Oh, we don't have a lot of employees. I think like three hundred. Not bad. All based in LA. No, throughout throughout the country, and some are in Mexico and, and Canada. So we have properties all over U.S. and Mexico and Canada. But the thing with developer is, you know, it sounds like we have like a crazy number of portfolio, but a lot of them are joint ventures and we hire consultants to do a lot of the work. So it's not like you need like a crazy number of employees to manage everything, right? You're delegating a lot of work to different people. Right. Honestly, it comes down to, do you know what you're doing and can you replicate your previous success? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. All right. Let's talk about your, your side projects, apartment syndications. So when did you get inspired to even start doing apartment syndications? I think it started at first that I wasn't happy that I wasn't getting a lot of deal making skills, even though what I mean, because like I said, 
we developing a CIM takes over after the deal is already done. So I, I was eager to learn more. So I went to some meetups and I learned about apartment syndication. So I thought, oh, I want to learn more about it. Like, what are they doing? And I found out that they're analyzing deals, talking to brokers. It's like, wow, I can do all of that and not work for a company. So I was like, hey, it would be a good side learning experience for me. And it will probably help me in the future when I actually start doing this full time for myself. And that's how I got started. And I uh, luckily, I went to this meetup and was part of Multifamily Masters. At the time, it wasn't called Multifamily Masters yet. But now it, it was called Out of State Multifamily, something like that. And then because now we're doing national wide rolling out our meetups, it doesn't make sense to do Out of State. How long ago was that? That was a year ago. We actually grew to 2,000 people in a little more than a year. And now we have chapters in, we actually have a chapter in San Francisco uh, that's really new. We have one in, we had a couple one in Texas. We have one in Phoenix, Arizona. We have one in Baltimore. So we're expanding. Do you know who's the, what do you call him, chapter head? Yeah, the chapter head is Powell. Powell T. So he holds the one in Manhattan Beach in Los Angeles. We have about 11 chapters in LA, by the way. So we're heavily concentrated here. Wait, so chapter head is Powell in SF? No, Manhattan Beach. Oh, got it. So who's, who's the chapter head for SF? You know, I just talked to her on a conference call yesterday. I think it was Denise. Doesn't ring a bell. But if Denise, you're listening to this, shout outs to you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, cool. So then uh, what did you do afterwards? You started going to these meetups and learning more about syndications. What next? Yeah, so I started hosting my own meetup in downtown LA. So after I went to this event, multifamily, I learned about apartment syndication. I said, hey, it will be cool if I can do my own in downtown LA. And at that time, there's only three chapters in LA. So I was eager to start my own. And I partnered with Gary Lipsky. I don't see you manning yet, but you know Kyle Mitchell, right? I don't think so. Okay. But he, he and Kyle also buys apartment syndications, does apartment syndication in Phoenix. So we kind of clicked and I said, hey, Gary, let's do a, do a meetup together in downtown LA. So that's what we have been doing for the past six months. Nice. Yeah, I host a meetup group here in San Jose as well. And it's a lot of work, but it definitely is a lot of fun. So then have you started, uh, I guess, looking for deals since that time? Yeah, I've been looking for deals. The problem is everything is so hard to find right now. I'm sure all listeners can would agree with that. And the thing is to really to get a deal nowadays, you have to really be active, like talking, following all the brokers constantly, like Kyle and Gary, when they got that deal in Tucson, Arizona, is after they called the broker like many, many times a week. And this is just one time Kyle was called, was traveling to Tucson and he just called the broker on the way like, hey, do you have any property? And then the broker told him that, yeah, I actually just had a property about to, you know, that I just got off market. You want to come take a look? So he was the first person there, like literally on the first day. So for me, I would like to do that, but I can't make that time commitment. So, you know, like, I'm doing real estate development daily. I can't take a worry and travel somewhere to look at deals. So, so for me personally, I think the best way for me to get involved is 
first my construction experience and my network. So that's why I'm heavily involved with networking. If I can find someone that can find me that deal without me going there every day, talking to the broker, then I will have a better chance of finding a good syndication deal. Yeah, I totally understand that. It's like, you don't want to be the guy doing the acquisitions part. I mean, you, you kind of do this for your day job, right? You have a whole team doing the acquisitions for you guys. It's not, not like I don't want to do it. It's just, it's not realistic. Yeah, you are doing this full time. There are people like myself, I guess, we spend all day cold calling agents or in your case, cold calling commercial brokers or they're actually traveling to those places out of state. You have a full-time job. There's no way you're going to travel to Arizona, especially now in the summer, man. There's no way. Oh, yeah. When I, I actually went there in like May, May. Yeah, May. And it was super hot. like 110 degrees already. I was like melting. Yeah. So you, you can tell like if an AC goes out in Phoenix, you need to replace it ASAP. <laughs> yeah. Well, I need to make sure I'm not a property management. I'm not involved with the call. I don't want to get a bunch of, you know, phone calls. Exactly. So what are you guys looking for in terms of apartment complexes? So we look for Bali ads. We don't look for stabilized properties or turnkeys. So something that's 60 plus units, ideally more than a hundred units. And we look at something that we can add value to at least 40% of units that we can add value. You know, some of the, some of the deals that call value add, but this really is, someone has already value added two or three times. And it's like a tiny little bit of value you can add there. It's not what we're looking for. We're looking for bigger value adds. Yeah, they tell you, oh, it's already rehab, but you can raise rents by a hundred bucks a month per unit. And it's like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I was like, dude, I, I don't know. And I, yeah, I always gotta do the market research, right? Check the market rent. So I, I cannot be there physically, but I always, do a lot of market studies. Mm -hmm. And you were saying that you're trying to get them around what, 5 million, 10 million price point? Yeah. So like a hundred unit is probably going to be around a million, like $10 million. Does not scare you? Like it's not intimidating for you, right? You're kind of fresh out of college, 10 million bucks to buy an apartment complex. I mean, I know it sounds scary, but it's backed by science, right? Backed by science and mathematics. mathematics. Maybe because I'm an engineer. So to me, if I were to put $10 million in stocks, I'd rather put it like $10 million in a apartment syndication deal because I know this apartment is backed by cash flow. And what that means is there's always going to be people living in apartments. Right? It's not going to be like, oh, next month, everyone's going to vacate the building and not live in there, right? Not everyone's going to move out of that building unless you do something really, really terribly. I don't, yeah, I can't imagine that happening. But for stocks, like literally buy like a growth stock and technology and then like, like Fitbit, right? It started at $35, 2015, now it's worth $3 a share. Like when that first product first came out, like who would have known like it would drop so much? The product just fell out of people's favor. But with the permanent syndication, because of the house prices and the population growth, in that area, you can forecast that, hey, in the next five to 10 years, there's gonna be a lot of people moving here. The vacancy rate is gonna continue to reduce. So it's backed by science, statistics, and you know that this property will do well. We do your market research, look at a lot of um, 
a lot of factors, the employment diversity, employment growth, right? Like employment diversity is super important because you don't want a C to be relying on one industry. So if, let's just say, for example, there's like a factory there that builds like Boeing Max 737, right? It's probably not going to do so well anymore with all the recent issues that they had. So you just got to be make sure that industry would continue to grow in that city so you can get more employment. Is that how you chose Phoenix? You just saw there's a lot of diversity there? There is good amount of diversity, yeah. I, I don't see there's anything that is like extra. Like manufacturing, you would definitely want to be careful because manufacturing nationally has been decreasing every year. And Phoenix has a lot more professional technology jobs moving there. They're building this big campus called the IDEA campus next to Tempe. And Tempe is like an awesome area. It's super nice. That running to the river. And yeah, it's, I will say it's going to keep growing and become one of the major metropolitan areas. Yeah, I mean, Phoenix is already pretty popping. And according to a lot of the syndicators, it's definitely one of the best places to invest right now. Question for you, though. I saw that. I guess prevailing cap rates in Phoenix are kind of like in the sixes or kind of like five, high fives, low sixes. How do you plan on buying property that cash flows when the initial cap is really kind of low? I think you're talking about high five, that's class B properties because class A is more like low five. Mm -hmm. So cash flow, I guess everyone has a different opinion on cash flow. For me, cash flow is like 6% is good enough. So I will probably buy something at like a low four cap. Well, the reason you'll buy a low four cap is because there's a lot of value you can add. So for example, you buy a property that's like at a C level, a class C property. It's not going to cash flow that well. You'll probably have a low NOI, but because there's so much value you can add to it, the seller is going to sell at a premium price. So it's not, it's not like because it's a classic property. He's going to sell you at like a six, seven cap. That's not how it works. So some people like get bogged down by, oh, the property is selling at low four cap. And then the area is trading at five cap. Like that seller is nuts. But no, that's not true. You can't just look at the cap rate. So you got to have a sophisticated Excel spreadsheet that show whatever platform you want to use to analyze the property and to understand how much money you can make on that property. And does that meet your, your investor standards? What you want to pay attention in terms of cap rate, though, is your exit cap rate. So let's say, like you said, everything is selling at high five, right? So you probably don't want to assume that you're going to sell at a high five in five years, especially not a low five, right? Then you're, you're, you're nuts. Don't try to assume the economy is going to be better in five years. Always try to assume it's going to be worse. But typically, you want to do maybe increase the cap rate by five basis points every year. That's kind of my general rule of thumb. Who are you kind of using as like a, like a teacher? Do you, do you follow someone else's analysis guides? Not really. You know, I want to have a really consistent mentor, to be honest. That is like badass. It's not easy to find. I have a couple of people that are more experienced than I am that and we talk, we meet up, we, when we go to meetups because... We're kind of part of the same organization, multifamily masters. But most of it is from reading, from talking to my coworkers. They're all like in development, so they're super sophisticated. So I learned from them as well. A lot of podcasts are useful. I think I already mentioned that. Books are great. Bigger pockets are great too. 
Yeah, it makes sense. So basically, you're taking all these different sources of information, analyzing them yourself, and then creating your own rules for your own investments. Yeah, and you know, to be honest, you're not gonna feel a big difference the first days, but if you keep listening to podcasts on the way to work or when you're at the gym, it does make a difference after a year. Right. Yeah, because I know a lot of people they do get they do get bogged down when they read books and it says, oh, you need to buy properties at a ten cap or twelve cap, right? One point sixty SCR day one. It's like, come on, you know, like if this property does have potential, if you just buy it, it could even be a zero cap, right? It could be breaking even. But if you know that market rates are actually a thousand bucks more per unit, dude, it's it's worth it. Yeah, right. Like you say zero cap. So you're assuming like a house that's there's no one living in there right now, but would you pay zero dollars for it? It's zero cap, right? Doesn't matter how much you pay because it's zero MOI. So just don't get bogged down by cap rate. What you want to pay attention to is a cap rate. Like, don't be super optimistic about a cap rate because if you are, you will start thinking, "Oh, that deal makes sense. I'll start a four cap. That deal makes sense too." But that's not how it works. Yeah, and if you start buying only in these like high cap areas, you're going to end up buying in pretty crappy areas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to buy in a crappy area. I know some people do, but it's just not our investment strategies.、Mm-hmm. So imagine you do get a ten million dollar. Potential deal on your lap, and you have to raise, let's say, three million dollars for it. What is your strategy to raise three million bucks? I personally can raise money, but three million dollars by myself not possible. But I have a lot of network of people that would be interested in partnering if it's a good deal. So I have no problem closing the deal. If say we can raise three million dollars, probably just in one or two weeks. That's very awesome. So, like, where are you getting your source of funds? For me personally, from from networking and friends and other full time syndicators that actually do this for a living.、Mm-hmm. So you probably ask these people, "Hey,、uh, when we spoke before, you mentioned that you were interested in doing a deal with me. I have a deal. Are you interested?" Just like that. Yeah, and some of them will ask me to partner too. The thing about promise syndication is there's so many different pieces that you can fill in. Well, just a quick breakdown. There is the person finding the deal, right? There's a loan guarantor that needs experience, liquidity, and net worth, and then there is person doing the due diligence, putting the guarantee, the honest money down. There's person who, at the deal closes, there's asset management. There's people doing capital raise. So there's a lot of different ways you can get involved in apartment syndication. So it's, it's not unheard of to have like five, six general partners. That's true. So you know. Most people, especially your age, aren't super excited about real estate. How did you even get excited about real estate? And you know what what drives you? So I read about the idea of co living two years ago, and that's when I got super excited because I remember when I was growing up, like my family wasn't super close, so a lot of times I would be eating by myself at the dinner table, like just a kid, and I feel like. We as human being, we are naturally a social species, so we want to be a, a, a close to each other. I know some, not many, not everyone's gonna think that way, but the majority of us, we rather come home from work, stress. I always believe a lot of us will have someone to talk to, right? Maybe a neighbor. But right now, in this world is more digitalized. People are not really having a lot of. In-person interactions, more like social media, Instagram. Like, oh, how many likes do we get on Instagram? This new picture. Hey, did anyone watch my story? Like, all of that, I think, is so 
it's not materialistic. And I feel like with the idea of co-living, it really promotes communities and have people have more, you know, materialistic connection with each other and really feel they belong in a community. And that's why I think it would be the next big thing in terms of, you know, real estate. So what are your plans for the future? My plans for the future, well, I hope no one from CIM is hearing this, but I do want to leave my company eventually. I don't plan on working for another company. I want to start my own and do, you know, developments, set apartments, syndications, and I would love to build a brand that focuses on co-living. There's a couple operators that's doing that right now, but it's just not enough. I think there's room for a lot more people. I uh, Some of my buddies are trying to do that right now, some co-living space stuff. And I think, who else is there? Hubhouse? Hubhouse is a big one. Yeah, the, one, the ones I've been paying attention to is Ollie and Common. And we work as a subsidiary called WeLive. They do co-living as well. I'm actually, Ollie is opening up one in downtown LA. I might actually move in there to, just to get a taste of it. So is that basically where you get a fully furnished rental and you just live in there for maybe like, 1500 bucks a month? Yeah, I don't know if it's that expensive. It depends on where you are. But like in LA, I think it will probably be like $1,300. And basically, it's fully furnished. You will share the apartment with a couple other people. So it like, might be a three-bedroom apartment, right? So they will match you with two other people. Each have your own bedroom. It will match you with someone else that kind of tailored to your hobbies and what you like and your lifestyle. Because obviously, you don't want your roommate like waking up in the middle of the night you gotta have the same lifestyle right and the idea the reason why you can save money like 1300 is not very expensive in downtown LA in a fully furnished unit the reason why you can get it so cheap is because Ali's strategy is to eliminate the living room so when you like say you're walking into the apartment unit right you have a very minimal kitchen it has like your beer minimum needs and you go to, there's no living room, so it's like hallway to your bedroom. And you go in there, you have this sofa couch, a couch bed, so you can turn it into like a living room. If you have guests over, you have TV, and you want to go to sleep, just making it a bed. And if you want to socialize with other people in the community, you can go to like a common space for like, for the whole floor, maybe the whole building will have a huge common space for you, like communal kitchen where you can, cook together and have dinner together i mean it sounds like fun it's like when you're living in college you're living in the dorms you're just meeting random people and but you ultimately you become friends most of the time yeah 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 i'm sure yeah a lot of people come here to college dorm living but i don't know what your dorm living was like i went to ucla and oh yeah you you went to ucla we're both Bruins. i almost forgot about that i mean i went my first year was a hedger call so that was like crammed in a small area but then I went to Reaver Terrace the next year, and it was pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. So, Hedro, so we had a we had Samuel's dorm experience, you know, like three big, like adults, grown men in like like a two hundred square feet room, maybe even less. So it's definitely not like that, right? It sounds like college dorm living, but it's much more uh, luxurious. Well, it's like kind of like uh, in apartments when we're in college. You you live in one room, your buddy lives in another room, and your third friend lives in the living room because you can't afford it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like that. And I'm sure you will say, hey, that's probably one of the best. You enjoy that time, right? Having college roommates living with you. 
I mean, I still do it right now. Like I rent out every single room, even my like converted garage to a buddy. So there's four of us living here. And at some different times, our girlfriends will come through as well. So at one point, there could be eight people here. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So imagine that, but multiplied by 100 because now you have 100 units like this, you know, in a big building. And I know it's not the same as college, but, you know, if there's 100 units, people like that. The thing is, because this, this business idea, I think, taters to specific people. I understand not everyone is super into co-living. They want their own space, but because it tailors to, to you know like a, a group of people, so the people you're gonna meet in that in that circumstance is gonna maybe be similar to you and your personality. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, you're gonna figure that they won't be families. Like if they're a married couple with a kid, they probably wouldn't do this. So yeah. people who are doing this are probably like our age, younger kids. Yeah, so I guess you have kids. Too bad, man. <laughs> no co-living for you guys. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? Awesome. Well, do you have any tips for our investors up here in the Bay Area? You know, I would say out of state. I mean, a lot of people are struggling to find investments in all over California. I know a lot of North Californians are maybe moving to Reno. So maybe look into that. They're like buying properties in Reno? Yeah, because Reno is has a lot of drop growth. The only problem I see with that is a lot of it is driven by Tesla. So there's a lot of manufacturing jobs. So if Tesla does bad, like what I said about employment diversity, right? So if Tesla, you, you know how volatile the stock market is. If Tesla goes south, the whole city is gonna get hit pretty hard, so. Right, I mean, Tesla is a cost for its boom, but I know there's a company called Sierra Nevada up there as well. And uh, you know they do some they do some stuff as well. And cost of living up there is a lot cheaper than here in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why people live there. And they're close to Tahoe. I think you can drive to Tahoe in less than an hour from Reno. Nice. Lots of snowboarding and skiing for them. Yep. Yep. All right, man. Do you have anything else to say before we end our show today? Um, I, uh, I, I hope you guys found it useful. And feel free to reach out to me. All right. So how can people get in contact with you? So you can find me at my website called Hestia Capital. So it's H-E-S-T-I-A-Capital.com. Awesome. So thanks a lot for sharing your story today and giving us some tips about syndications, your development company, and as well as the co-living spaces. And uh, definitely looking forward to hearing from you again after you've done your first syndication deal and let us know how that went. Yeah, we'll stay in touch. Absolutely. All right, Jay, thanks so much. Take care. All right, thank you, Sean. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. If you want to do something, Make the decision and switch as soon as possible. Real estate investing can be scary, but ultimately, it's a science. Do your research and understand how the numbers work, and you'll be fine. Go to meetups and learn from investors who have more experience than you. If you want to get into multifamily syndication, create a thought leadership platform. One way is to host a chapter of a popular real estate meetup and constantly post on real estate investing forums like Bigger Pockets. There are lots of pieces in a syndication, so see where you can fit in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.